0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts.
1: Hey everybody,
0: this is Bob Murphy. No, I'm kidding. That's my Bob Murphy imitation. Hopefully it doesn't suck. Evan Roberts, welcome to episode, I guess, three of Rico Bronia. As the New York Mets have finally completed what has felt like an endless West Coast trip. They do it by winning two out of three against the Angels and securing something that I think we all would have taken a week and a half ago. A 5-5 and road trip. We'll examine how they got there, the brilliant managing of Buck Showalter in the finale of this series. But let's start off with the fact that we're all tired. I mean, (laughs) I got to tell you, if you're a diehard fan and you believe, hey, look, I'm going to stay up late, I'm going to watch every single game at least as much as I can, West Coast trips, which we're used to, they happen every single season, they're tough. They're not easy. I remember last year, one of the West Coast trips they had, the one that took them to L.A. and San Francisco at least, because now you could have multiple West Coast trips. But the one where they went to L.A. and San Francisco, and the season was obviously unraveling at this point, occurred in mid-August, and I was on vacation. And I love the timing of it because during the day I was at the beach playing with the kids, everybody falls asleep by 8, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, Evan's by himself watching the Mets. Like the timing of it was perfect. The timing of the last week and a half for all of us, you know, early June, late May, whenever the hell this thing started. I mean, we're 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 working. I, most of us work. <laughs> I got to tell you, staying up until one o'clock in the morning, day after day after day after day, has been a chore because normally, when they have a West Coast trip, a it doesn't last as long as this. I mean, this was ten games, ten freaking games. A- And here's the crazy part. Okay, 10 games is long. That's caveat number one. The second thing is they were all effing night games. Like, we didn't have a mixed-in Thursday afternoon. Not that I prefer that, because selfishly, we're on the air, Carton and Roberts, 2 to 6.30. So when there's a 4 o'clock game, it's tough to watch. We're doing a show. But if you think about the origins of this trip, going back to last Thursday against the Dodgers, Thursday night, 10 o'clock, Friday night, 10 o'clock Saturday night, 10 o'clock. Ooh, Sunday at four. Great. Then you go Monday, nine 40 Tuesday, nine 40 Wednesday, nine 40 Friday, nine 38 Saturday, ten ten, And then even this game, the finale of this series, we record it right after it ended. Okay. Seven o'clock. It was night after night, after night. I said to my wife this morning, I said, I'm tired. Like I need the freaking Mets to come home. Or just go to the East Coast. So before we get into any of the games, let's just all give each other a nice a nice podcast hug because we all need it. We're tired. I need a good night's sleep. I haven't had a good night's sleep in two weeks. Now, you could say, come on, it's the Mets. Go to sleep early. It ain't easy to go to sleep early. There was I will admit this. I will admit this. There was one game on this road trip in which in the seventh inning... After midnight, so it's not like it was that early. Seventh inning, after midnight, I said, I'm done. Like I'm sorry. I I don't care if I watch every single pitch and I score every single game and I'm a psycho. This is the moment where I'm going to tap out. And I will give you the moment. It was game two of this series against the Angels. Saturday night, I think it was. Let me check my scorecard because you could see in my handwriting, or at least I could see in my handwriting when I was done. Okay. It was when... Well, let me find the page. So, game two of this series, it was when Mike Trout hit his second home run. That was it—the two-run home run in the sixth inning, which at that point made it like ten nothing, eleven nothing. I think mean, that made it ten nothing. That was the point where I said, "All right, I mean, well, what am I? What am I doing with my life right now?" It's Saturday night; everybody's sleeping. My oldest son tried to score the game. I'm not even kidding you. He's like, no, I'll stay up. I'm like, you kidding me? This game starts at 10 o'clock at night. He got two innings in before I started hearing the snores loudly coming from right next to me. And I look over at him. He's asleep in his own drool. Mike Trout just hit another bomb. And that's when I say I got to go to sleep. So full disclosure, did I see Pete Alonso hit a home run into the seven line? I saw a replay of it. Did I see Khalil Lee hit a home run and pimp it the entire time? Yeah, I saw it on a replay. I went to bed. Outside of that, it was staying up until 1 o'clock in the morning every single night. But here's what we need to be thrilled with. We need to be thrilled with the fact that this baseball team, without Max Scherzer, without Jacob DeGrom, and in the midst of this trip, Without Pete Alonso and without Starling Marte. And obviously the Mets have come out of that clean because Marte finally returned in the finale of this series. Pete came back for this entire series and looked great. Didn't miss a beat for the most part, hitting a couple of home runs. Really, he picked it up late last night. And then even today hits that insurance home run, the finale of this series Sunday night. They got out of this trip really as well as you could have imagined, especially when you factor in not just those injuries I pointed out, but Chris Bassett struggles when you throw that in there, when you throw in the fact, okay, Tyler McGill comes back, but you knew he wasn't going to be able to go deep into the game. Uh, this was as realistically good as you could have expected. I mean, sure, we could fantasize about 8-2 and two or 7-3, and three, but that was never realistic, especially when you look at the teams you were going up against. A very good Dodger team, a very good Padre team, and even an Angel team that you knew – Was going to be tough, considering they just had that extended 14-game losing streak. I don't think they're that bad. I mean, you see the talent on this team. Not that they're very good, but they're not that bad. They got Mike Trout back in the middle of this series. Shohei Otani's a pain in the ass. Thank you, Phil Nevin, for not playing him in the finale of this series. And look, Patrick Sandoval's a pretty good arm. Like They've got some decent players on this team. This was not going to be easy. So to get through L.A., San Diego, and Anaheim, split, lose a series, win a series, and walk out of this thing 5-5 and is incredible. Now, I'll get into it a little bit later about where the standings are because obviously the NL East looks very different today than it did a week and a half ago, and that doesn't have that much to do with the Mets. It has everything to do with the fact that the Atlanta Braves have gotten completely red hot. But overall, you've got to be thrilled at what they were able to do in this series, to go 5-5 and against the Dodgers, against the Padres, against the Angels – That's the ultimate win, and it really started at least the conclusion of this series with Friday, because if you remember on the last edition of Rico Bronia, we said, look, as disappointing as the final two games against San Diego was, just go out and beat Anaheim two out of three. It's very simple, and you get to five and five, and you look at the opener of this series, which was so important. You have Tyler McGill coming back from the injured list. You're not really sure what to expect. They jump all over this Jonathan Diaz in the second inning after they blew an opportunity in the first inning when Pete Alonzo grounded into that double play. And I was a little worried because if you remember when Pete got drilled last year against the Cardinals and he came back after not missing a beat, he went through a slump about three to four weeks. So it was on my mind Friday night when Pete returned to the lineup just wondering, all right, are we going to get Alonzo back but a guy who's struggling? And he was, for the most part, pretty quiet, in the opener of this series, and even the second game of this series, didn't do anything until he hit that late home run, but then clearly built on it with the finale as he hits another home run. So it's two home runs in three games. It's tough to complain, but they jump all over Jonathan Diaz. Mark Connor with that rip two run double, he has a big game. And Tyler McGill was, I mean, he was, he was all right. I just didn't know what, how much more we could have expected from him, considering how much time he missed. He gives up the two-run home run to Brandon Marsh. He runs into trouble in the third inning, and gets through it. He didn't get a full opportunity to get through the fourth inning. And then Buck goes to David Peterson. And you know, I mentioned this before. Buck Showalter doesn't say anything to the media. And we all love him. Doesn't matter. He leaves a lot of things very close to the vest. And one of the things he left, is it vest or chest, by the way? Close to the vest or close to the chest? Do you know the answer to that, Hoff? Because I've never known that my entire I life. It's, I think it's a vest. Is but it I'm a vest? Probably, I'm probably wrong about that, though. It sounds sounds about right. Vest. I'm Hammock no vest. bone close to the vest. <laughs> we get it all right here, baby. Well, put it this way: Buck didn't tell us crap. So, you know, we know. Okay, they're going to skip David Peterson. Plus, Trevor Williams is going to the bullpen. I think I mentioned it on the pod a few days ago. Yeah, Trevor Williams is going to tag team with Tyler McGill. No, no, no. It was David Peterson tailgating with Ty, uh, tag teaming with Tyler McGill. So, Buck kind of didn't really tell us that, nor should he. Like, I get it. You know, you want to keep you want to te- keep teams guessing. So, why the hell not? And David Peterson did a hell of a job because the first thing he does when he comes in with guys on base is he gets Tyler Wade to bounce into a double play. And he did really well. Gave him two and a third innings, two and two-thirds innings, whatever it was. And the Mets are able to tack on. And that's the best part about this offense. They score three runs in the second inning. Okay, great. Score more. Brandon Nimmo hits a home run in the fourth inning. Brandon Nimmo at the two-run double in the sixth inning. And they tack on and they eventually kind of walk away easily. Beating the Angels in the opener of this series, which once you take that opener and now you're looking at the final two games of this series, saying, "All right, get me a split," and you've got your five and five trip. You're already off to a great start. You get Brandon Nimmo a little bit hot because he's been quiet for a while. He gets on base three more times. A little bit of pop with the home run and the two run double. So a very good opener to this series. The second game of this series was just a disaster. I mean, it was honestly there was nothing good about it. I actually there was one positive. The one positive I took out of game two of this series, the game they lost 11-6. And in my brain, they lost 11-0, because I don't think I ever saw them score any of those six runs until the next morning. One of those rare times, I admit that, as I mentioned earlier. But it was just bad Carrasco. And that's what we get. Carlos Carrasco has mostly been very, very good as a Met. Or this year as a Met. I shouldn't say as a Met, because last year was you know, not good at all. But what I've noticed about Carlos Carrasco, I like to call it the Bobby Jones syndrome. For anybody who remembers the great Bobby Jones back in the day, Bobby Jones, 70% of the time, would pitch really, really, really well. He had that big looping curveball. We all remember the one-hit shutout against the Cardinals in the National League Championship Series. But Bobby Jones, I'd say 70% of the time, pitched really, really well. And then there would be a start, Every four or five starts in which he would get his you know what packed. Craig and I had a very long discussion about S packed and F packed. I am saying S packed, where you get your S packed. And that would kind of loop up Bobby Jones's numbers because if you have one start where you give up five or six or seven runs, that's going to kill your ERA. Pete Hoffman knows all about that. He deals with that in fantasy all the time. He's got that one starter, gives up seven or eight runs, doesn't matter about the rest of it. So, here's Carlos Carrasco's season this year. And I think this will illuminate or illustrate the point I'm trying to make that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. First start of the year gives up one earned run. Beautiful. Second, zero runs. Third, two. Okay? We're up to a great start. His fourth start, that game against the Cardinals, three and two-thirds innings, eight runs. Okay? So, three starts, One 4-7 ERA, one bad start, ERA jumps up to 4-5. Then he goes eight scoreless, six and two-thirds, two runs. Then he's got a dud where he gives up four runs against the Mariners. Five and a third, one runs, five and two-thirds, five runs. That's another dud. So actually had a couple of duds. Then his last two starts before Saturday, five scoreless against Washington, seven innings, two runs, 10 strikeouts against the Padres, and then Saturday night where he gives up five runs, nine hits, and four and two-thirds innings. He will give you these duds every, I guess, on average this season. He's made 12 starts, and let's say he's had three duds. So once every four starts, he'll have an absolute dud, and it ruins his ERA. You have one bad start like that, it just kills your ERA. So he's got a four ERA. But if you've watched him this year, and I said this about him last week, and I'm going to say it again, I think this latest start almost helps prove my point. His numbers don't actually indicate how good he's been. Yeah, he was bad Saturday night. No doubt about it. Right out of the gate. First batter of the game, Brandon Marsh, who looks like Charlie Blackman, basically just because they have long hair and they just look disgusting. They look like they need to take a shower. But whatever, Brandon Marsh, Charlie Blackman, it's great company if you're Brandon Marsh. As soon as he worked that eight-pitch walk to start the game, Carlos was in trouble. Gives up the bomb of a double to Otani. Gives up a double to Rendon. Oh, Anthony Rendon. Oh, God. I just can't. And when he signed with the Angels, I was so happy because I would never have to see him again. And here he is. And here he is. But then he starts throwing batting practice. Gives up a home run to Mike Trout. Gives up a home run to Shohei Otani. And I think finally Buck realized, all right, I didn't want to use a lot of my bullpen because I had to use a lot of it in the opener of this series because of the Tyler McGill situation. So he didn't have David Peterson available. Obviously, he'd get to Trevor Williams eventually, but really tried to squeeze more out of Carlos Carrasco. But he couldn't because he sucked because he was terrible. And what coincided with this was the fact that the Mets had so many really good opportunities against that jacked up Michael Lorenzen. I mean, his muscles are just... I, I, quite frankly, I can't stop looking at him. He is so ripped, Michael Lorenz. Even in his days with the Cincinnati Reds, he'd come in from center field to pitch, and I'd say, look at this guy. He's like a freaking bodybuilder. Anyhow, I don't have a man crush on Michael Lorenz, and I'm just admiring that he's he's built very well. But the Mets had, you go back to the first inning of this game, the leadoff error in which Nimmo hit the ground ball to second base and Rengifo boots it. They had 2 on, nobody out in the first inning, and they got nothing. And this is very unmet-like because the Mets have been great this season with runners in scoring position. They've been fantastic. They've been clutch. But 2 on, nobody out first inning, they get nothing. They get a one-out double by Eduardo Escobar, infield tip by Luis Guillermo, get nothing in the second inning. They had a couple of guys on base in the fifth inning. They get nothing. Lead-off guy in the sixth inning, got nothing. So as the Angels are scoring a bunch of runs on Carlos Carrasco, You know, Mets get a run here, there, here, there. They could keep this a game. Never did that. It was actually a very frustrating game to watch and and unfamiliar for us because they have been so good with runners in scoring position. Something that killed them in 21 and something that really killed them in 2020. I know it was a short season, so we try to forget its existence. But you asked me to define, from a baseball sense, not the, the oddness of there being cardboard cutouts in the outfield, to define 2020. I'd say, yeah, you know what defines 2020? The Mets actually had a really good offensive season, but they could never get a big hit. And that hasn't been the case this season. They have been getting big hits. They did score a bunch of runs late in this game. Uh, it didn't really matter. It was just one of those games in which you knew early on, this ain't our night. This isn't going to be a Met victory. And that's why when you know I tell Pete, hey, let's make a list of worst Met losses, They haven't had a lot of really horrible losses. There are losses like this in which you just get your ass kicked and you shrug your shoulders and say, okay, Carlos Carrasco wasn't good. Jake Reed comes in and is throwing batting practice. All right, we move on.